The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. We have our weekly reporter's notebook segment in this podcast. This one features Steve Batterson, who looks back at Iowa's homecoming loss to the Michigan State Spartans. You'll also hear some of what Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz had to say on the weekly Big Ten Coaches Call. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include Brent Balbonat and Marv Cook, as well as sports reporter Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeye Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson and from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show and our other Reporter's Notebook podcast, as well as Brent Balbonat's Press Box Report. The Iowa-Michigan State game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with announcers Beth Mowens and Joey Galloway. We appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz participated in the weekly Big Ten Coaches Conference call. Here's some of what he had to say about the play of walk-on fullback Adam Cox, about Iowa's success in general with walk-ons, and about the injuries his team suffered in the Michigan State game. I think Adam's a great story. You know, he came here a couple of years ago and pretty much an unheralded walk-on, and, and we've certainly had plenty of those, but uh, he's just a guy that shows up. He's got a great attitude first and foremost, and that, that, uh, that was one of the first things you noticed about him. Uh, you also noticed he's not the biggest guy in the world or certainly wasn't when he got here but you know, he's, he's worked extremely hard uh, every every turn of the way and then uh, last year about this time is when we moved uh, Mark Weissman to the to the running back position and uh, the downside of that was we lost a really uh, talented fullback so when we went into spring practice this past year uh, we certainly had a, a strong need to try to locate somebody that could maybe help out and uh, Adam and, and make him play but both those guys just had really good springs uh, and, and uh, you know they got an opportunity and they stepped right in there and did a great job with it. So it's a real credit to Adam, but he's just a tremendous person, a great attitude, very positive attitude, and very strong work ethic. And he's he's a tough guy. And that that position, there's not a lot of glory, or you know, they don't get to touch a ball too often. But you know, boy, you better enjoy blocking. You better be part of the team. And he's he's just done a great job at that position. Yeah, we've had great success, and first guy I'm thinking about is Sean Considine, you know, from uh, the Illinois area. Sean came over here from Byron and uh, ended up being a three-year starter for us, and you know, just, uh, was part of a Super Bowl team last year. So we, we've had great luck with guys from uh, Illinois, and also obviously guys from Iowa. You think about guys like Dallas Clark, Bruce Nelson, uh, and you get right down the list. We've had some great, uh, great young people in our program, and you know, just really uh, happy for Adam. I'm very proud and appreciative of his efforts. 
Yeah, we've really been relatively uh, fortunate thus far this year. Injury-wise, we haven't had too many uh, that really inhibited guys, and I guess we've been that fortune maybe continued a little bit because you know we'd have a couple guys, a handful of guys would be questionable if we were playing Saturday. Uh, and the good news is, I guess that we're not. So, yeah, just came out of a medical meeting this morning, and been pretty optimistic we should have everybody back, you know, towards the end of the week, if not Sunday. So, yeah, that's that's good news. Yeah, yeah. but you just hate to lose guys, certainly, and we lost a handful of guys during the game yesterday, or Saturday. Michigan State up 20 to 14, but they are putting it away. And the fake from Michigan State works to perfection. Inside the Iowa 40-yard line, 25 yards on the run from Mike Sadler. Wow, what a play call. Perfect timing, perfect play. Guys are turned, taken off, back, back to the punter, gets as many as he can, gets out of bounds. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. And you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. Time now for our weekly Reporter's Notebook show. This one with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve looks back in depth at the Michigan State game and ahead to the rest of Iowa's Big Ten schedule. Steve, your overall thoughts on the Michigan State loss, it was Iowa's homecoming game and also the black and gold spirit game. So the fans came into Kinnick draped in black and gold. The team left the field black and blue and bruised and battered. No question. It was not the uh, not the way Iowa wanted to go into the bye week whatsoever. Uh, these past two games were kind of games that, that I felt like would would kind of give us a pretty good picture of where, where this Iowa team was at. And, and it was a struggle from the start. And in, in virtually every phase on on Saturday, uh, which which is probably the biggest disappointment. You know, it, it was no surprise that Michigan State's defense was going to be pretty stout against the run. I mean, they have been against everybody. They were last year. To the degree that they were stout against the run, probably is a little eye opening for Iowa. Uh, you know, and especially when Mark Wiseman goes down with an ankle problem. He, you know, to his credit, he tried to gut it out, but you know, he obviously wasn't 100. percent And then when you take uh, Martin Manley out of the out of the equation as well on the receiving end of it. It, it changes the complex of, of, of this offense pretty quickly. The complete domination really in every phase and the injuries you just talked about certainly didn't help, and it wasn't just those two. I mean, Iowa had some key injuries for all their parts of the game on both sides of the ball. Yeah, you had guys coming in and, and, and you know leaving for a few plays and coming back. Carl Davis came back after after sitting out a few. Tom Alvis set out the entire second half. Uh, James Morris was in and out. Kirksey left the game. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a very physical game, which was to be expected. That's the kind of football that Michigan State plays. Uh, you know, they had a few guys limp off as well. Uh, it, it's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, Iowa really hadn't had to deal with over the course of the, uh, the first few weeks of the season, uh, 
beyond uh, you know beyond Jordan Lomax's injury, it's been a pretty injury-free start for the Hawkeyes, and things kind of piled up pretty quickly, and, and that only played into to Michigan State's hands. The positive developments we all saw through the first five games on offense, they just pretty much disappeared on this particular Saturday, other than that one little small stretch late in the second quarter. And all of those key stats that have been in Iowa's favor just completely flipped in this game. Yeah, they really did. Uh, nine three and outs on offense. Uh, you know, it's more than twice as many as Iowa's had in any any single game this season. And you know, it, you just can't get into any sort of flow when you're when you're you know on and off the field so quickly. And and uh, you know, it took until late in the second quarter for for that to happen. And and they had two really nice drives there at the end of the half to take a lead. And they went into the locker room and you're thinking, okay, at that point, well, maybe things are starting to turn a little bit here. But in the third quarter, they came out and continued to uh, to really struggle with with finding any consistency or any rhythm whatsoever on offense and, and until that final drive at the game, which, you know, frankly was nice for the stats and, and, you know, it was good to get out there and move the ball in that kind of situation when you needed to move the ball. But but the team, uh, you know, by that point, uh, the outcome really had been decided. I suspect Connor Cornbreath could barely wait to get off the field to ice his leg down. He had to punt so often. It, he he was overworked. I mean, you know, that's been the, that's been the norm when Iowa and Michigan State have gotten together the last few years. I mean, they've averaged 12 and a, 12, a little over 12 and a half punts per game since D'Antonio arrived there. Uh, and they ended up with 13 between the two teams on Saturday. So I guess that was pretty typical of what these games have been like between these two teams. And, uh, you know, yeah, Connor had, uh, you know, decent yardage on, on his eight punts, but uh, there were some, you know, a, f- a few returns there that, uh, uh, you know, McGarrett King's got loose for a couple. And, you know, the, some of those punts were a little low and a, a little easy to return. And, 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 you know, that didn't help. Before each of the last three games, wouldn't it be interesting if when everyone on the other team and in the stands is expecting Iowa to come out and run early and often to try to establish the rushing game, they would open up with a play fake and a post pattern or something like that. But Saturday, once again, that's what they came out. Come hell or high water, they tried to, to run and run early and they got absolutely nothing. No, it was just uh, they were pounding pounding into a wall at that point. And, you know, and uh, credit Michigan State. I mean, that, that's, that's what they do. And, and that's what they've done to everybody. And I mean, they came into this game allowing 58 yards a game on the ground. And, you know, they certainly only helped those numbers against Iowa. You know, I, I think the disappointing thing from an Iowa standpoint is that the Hawkeyes had been very effective in moving the ball on, on the ground. And you come in averaging 244 yards, not unlike flipping it with what happened at Minnesota the week prior. You, you just don't see something like that coming. And, uh, you know, it started up front. And it started with a very effective performance by the defensive front of, of Michigan State, led by uh, Max Bull at the linebacker spot. And, uh, you know, just a, just a group of, of solid defenders that, that play aggressively. They play fast and they play well together. And, and, and they made Iowa pay. 23 yards on 16 carries. You know you're in trouble when the following two things occur. Your quarterback is your leading rusher, and he only has 11 yards. And the opponent's punter outgains your entire team. It's kind of a lethal combination, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, thankfully, Jake was able to come through with 11 yards. I mean, that, you know, that was that was two more than your, your starting tailback had. So, you know, it, it was just a tough day all around. And, and it, Jake was put in a position where he had to make quicker decisions than what he had had to make in his previous five starts. To to that degree, uh, you know, it just didn't happen. And, uh, you know, he, he, had a, he had a rough day. And, I mean, it, it was uh, a learning experience. We'll see, uh, you know, how he grows and progresses from this point. But, but uh, you know, a quarterback's going to go through that at some point. And, and uh, he was faced with a lot of, uh, a lot 
lot of quick decisions that uh, he hasn't necessarily had to make in previous weeks, and it didn't always work. Not to belabor his stats, but some of these are key, and they're really telling for the game. It was Iowa's fewest rush attempts, and obviously the least amount of running yards. Their fewest yards for carry, they only averaged 1.4 on Saturday. They were only 4 of 15 in third down conversions, only 264 yards of total offense. And one stat in particular, they've been very dominant in every game to this point, time of possession. Michigan State completely flipped that on them. Iowa only held the ball for just under 23 minutes. And in that kind of game against that kind of an opponent, that is really an important stat. Yeah, it really is. And and Michigan State's been able to do that on people this year as well. Not to the degree that Iowa had, but they've been fairly effective at at keeping the ball despite their inconsistency on offense. But uh, if you take a look at Saturday, they, they, in a lot of ways, kind of beat Iowa in the same manner that Iowa's been beating other people. And, you know, a lot of it had to do with Connor Cook. I I thought he really came and played a very poised game for for a sophomore who hadn't uh, hadn't had a ton of starting experience and and really had kind of labored in his last start against uh, Notre Dame, was pulled out of the game in the fourth quarter. Uh, You know, I I thought he came back and and, and had a really nice performance for a young quarterback. There were two really good young quarterbacks on the field Saturday. I I recall tweeting that at some point during the game. And if Cook continues to grow and and do some of the things that we saw him do on Saturday, uh, Michigan State's quarterback situation is going to be fairly solid for for the foreseeable future. Yeah, with that defense, and if if they can get their offense clicking, they'll be a contender in the legends for sure. The other thing that was interesting, Iowa has averaged through its non-conference games, those four games, it averaged 81 plays offensively. The first two Big Ten games, only 66, but that's obviously hurt by the 62 they were only able to run on Saturday. Let's talk a little bit more about Rudock. You mentioned that he had to make quicker decisions. Well, he really didn't have much time to make hardly any decision most of the day because the Spartans' defense is fast, big, strong, and I think they pressured him on literally every single play. Yeah, they really did, and and that's you know that, that's a uh, you know it's a credit to to you know what they do and and what they're about, and and not only up front but on the back end of that defense too. They're playing fast, they're playing physical, and 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 they're basically covering receivers right and left, and they did as good of a job of that as as you know anybody Iowa certainly has seen this season, and, and potentially as good of a job as I anybody that I will face over the course of the season. And, uh, you know, it, it was a it was a tough day for for Rudock, and I, I think that he had uh, certainly opportunities. There was a little flourish there late in the first half, where things finally got into some sort of a flow, and that had as much to do with uh, uh, Michigan State maybe taking the foot off the pedal a little bit on the defensive side. But they certainly got some things changed around at halftime, and and you know it, it became as much of a struggle, if not more so. Uh, I think I ended up with like six rushing yards in the in the third quarter, second half total, uh, actually. But it, it just not, uh, you know, at that, by that point, it, it was time to put the ball in the air and see what you could do to try to play your way back into a game and see if somebody on the back end might make a mistake. And they didn't. You know, he, he had a couple of picks on, on, on fade routes that, uh, you know, are certainly uh, problematic at this point. Uh, Darkies Denard was was named uh, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week uh, uh, because of his work against uh, Iowa and representative of, of the success that they had in the secondary. Given Michigan State's defense, how they looked, how they played, their aggressive nature, and the pressure they put on Jake, it's surprising that, for that matter, neither team had a sack, not a single sack in that game. That's that's just kind of odd. It's a talk- strange number, yeah. yeah. I mean. That 
late second quarter stretch there, Rudock completed 11 straight passes for 138 yards and two TDs. It, it looked like no matter what defense went out there, they couldn't have stopped him on those two drives. What do you he, think he, happened there? He, he was in a real rhythm, yeah. And, and I think it was, uh, you know, some of it was just connecting. I think there was a little confidence going on. I think some of it had to do with, uh, you know, he was 5-5 five of five on both of those six-play touchdown drives. There was one run play on both of the drives. And they didn't really get anything out of either of those runs. But, uh, um, you know, he connected, and he connected with a good variety of receivers uh, during that stretch. It wasn't going to one particular guy. It was spreading it around, which, you know, which Jake has shown an ability to do. And, uh, you know, Kirk even found it a little difficult postgame to kind of explain, you know, why things work so well for that little three- to four-minute stretch at the end of the half. And then the rest of the day was just an exercise in frustration. And I think it is about guys getting into a rhythm, into a little bit of a flow, and, and having some confidence. And, you know, for those two drives, everything worked. And uh, once, uh, you know, once they sat down, took a break, and came back out, it was back to the same old struggles that they dealt with from the onset. It's obvious Greg Davis opened up the playbook by that point in the game, but it still is, just as you were saying there, a mystery as to why that that little space and time there completely changed the feel. The crowd was dead, and then all of a sudden, it's really into the game. Iowa has all the momentum. They carry it into halftime, and then you think, well, won't this carry over? And boy, nothing. The Spartans came right back out and took complete control. Never relinquished it. Yeah, you know, and, and, and it wasn't like they had great field position to start either of those two drives as well. One was a 75-yarder, the other 65 yards. And, uh, you know, field position was, was a, a game that Iowa did not win on Saturday. I mean, they started with a long field virtually all afternoon long, and it was just a struggle to make any, any sort of progress in indenting that for most of the day. But for, for those two drives, everything seemed to work. Um, you know, and I, it certainly wasn't, uh, you know, anything magical other than just the fact he was making connections with receivers and, and you know, moving it down the ball, moving it downfield fairly quickly at a fairly quick tempo. And I thought Iowa played fairly aggressively there in terms of tempo, which probably helped a little bit, but uh, um, it, it sure didn't carry over. Yeah, and they went away from that up-tempo there in the second half again. You know, if you just looked at Jake's stats in isolation, didn't know anything about the rest of the game, you'd say, hey, that's pretty good. He was 26 of 46 for 241 yards, two TDs. He did throw the two picks, but neither one of them really were, you know, resulted in major damage in terms of the score that Michigan State was able to get out of him. He completed passes again to 10 different teammates. The 47-yard TD pass to Bullock was the longest play Michigan State's given up all season, and that 10-yard TD pass just across the goal line to Fedorowicz, that was a terrific little play there. It really was, yeah. You know, and CJ again goes up and gets the ball, and it, it was uh, just a great a great play by a, a tight end who's, who's made a few of those. We haven't seen it very consistently, but he, he went up, caught the ball, and, and held on, which, you know, that's uh, that's progress in some respects, I guess, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it was uh, what they needed at that time to kind of get something going, and, and uh, you know, they, they built off that when they got the ball back after after forcing you know Michigan State to punt it away fairly quickly, and and, and that's uh, you know that that was uh, a rarity at times. But uh, Mike Sadler, obviously a terrific punter, who uh, you know he, he places the ball pretty well too. But Iowa was able to answer on that one occasion. Certainly not a highlight performance for Iowa's offensive line. They they did okay when they went up tempo, protecting for the pass. But boy, they had no control over the line of scrimmage all day long, and any attempt at 
a running game. No, and, and they, it was certainly their toughest outing of the year. They, they were, uh, for, for as good as they had performed as a unit up at Minnesota, it was every bit the struggle of, uh, on Saturday from, from start to finish. And can't really point fingers at one segment of it. It, it, was, it was a problem from right to left. One of the things you noticed, especially as Iowa's offense began to click in that second quarter, and then you saw it really continue for quite a while throughout the game. Michigan State finished this contest with eight penalties for 70 yards. It could have been a lot more because there were obvious penalties and fractions that were not called, a couple of them right in front of the Iowa bench that sent Kirk and the coaching staff ballistic over there. And there could also, the replay showed, clearly been an ejection when the punch was thrown over on the Michigan State side. I think Michigan State plays a very aggressive brand of defense. They always have, nothing new. It, it kind of, I think, leads teams into a chippy style of play on, on both sides. I thought Iowa did a fairly decent job of not responding to some of the chippiness that was going on out there. Uh, that is a temptation. Uh, you know, Michigan State's the type of team is going to take seven or eight penalties a game, uh, especially with the aggression they show with their with their defensive backs. You know, they'll take a pass interference or, or two and, and not get too worked up over it just because they're sending a message with that. And, you know, and it does impact the way that the opponents play a little bit. And, and, and I think that gives them an edge defensively that they feel like is uh, certainly a way that they can uh, perform at the level they need to perform defensively to, to make some some stops and it, it it's uh, it, it is the way that they uh, they teach and, and and coach and there's no question that it is part of, of what playing a, a Michigan State team is about. We say this every game turnovers are key, especially in a game like this. This is the second game of the year that Iowa lost the turnover battle. Uh, Jake threw two picks. Uh, Iowa got one interception against Cook and the other game was NIU, both losses. Yeah, it, it, it just points out how, how valuable the football is and possessing it and, and, and not ending up on the, on the wrong side of that ledger. And, and, you know, traditionally, if you look at, at Kirk Ferentz's teams, when they've won the, the turnover battle, they've done a pretty good job of, of piling up wins. When, when they've given the ball away, it, it's just awfully difficult to give possessions away when you're typically playing pretty close games, which Iowa plays a lot of. And uh, that margin for error, not so great. And, and when you provide the opponent with extra possessions, it, it can be pretty costly, not only for in terms of giving up points, but just in the ability of uh, the reduced opportunities to put points on the board yourself. Iowa's defense played well at times. They continued to play terrific defense inside the red zone they have all season. They also played well Saturday on short fields after turnovers, but they once again showed susceptibility to big pass plays. Both of those resulted in touchdowns. Yeah, uh, the, the distance on some of those pass plays this season has, has been a little on the crazy side. And, you know, Iowa was one of two teams in the country, along with Michigan, at, at the FBS level that hasn't given up a rushing score yet, uh, uh, which is admirable. But uh, they have given up 10 touchdown passes, and, and the you know the average yardage on those things is 33.7 yards. So they are they are getting burnt on occasion, and, you know. And some of that has to do with the aggression that we're seeing. Uh, they're blitzing more this season. And there's a little risk and reward there, and uh, you know if you're not getting to the quarterback, if you're not altering what he's trying to do, then then there's a real possibility that you're going to get burnt on the back end of it. And we saw that a couple of times on Saturday, no question. When you look at uh, their ability, uh, uh, you know Benny Fowler on a, on a 37-yarder was uh, is a guy that uh, you know was kind of fighting for a starting position. He'd, he'd started initially, been pulled out. And, 
and worked his way back into the lineup for this game. And, you know, he certainly proved that, uh, you know, he has a role in this offense. And, and uh, you know, the other one was a 46-yarder that uh, we saw we saw Sean Draper, uh, uh, you know, get beat up a little bit on as well. And, and you know, those are the kind of plays that uh, 14 points in, in, in this kind of a game, that uh, they all add up. And, and it was a pretty significant, uh, pretty costly mistake. Iowa's defense always tries to make an opponent one-dimensional. They did make Michigan State one-dimensional Saturday. They squashed the Spartans' running game. It almost looked like this defense was not prepared for a Michigan State passing attack to be as successful and to be as successful as it turned out to be for the Spartans on that day. Yeah, and I, I think Connor Cook had a lot to do with that. Just, you know, the uncertainty of, of that offense. It had been so inconsistent over the opening weeks of the season that, uh, you know, I don't think Iowa had a real handle on what to expect from Michigan State offensively. They had, you know, a limited amount of film on, on Cook because he had not been the full-time guy. You have a, uh, you know, a receiving core that had been uh, every bit as inconsistent as Iowa receivers were early on in the season in terms of drops and that type of thing. And, you know, it just seemed on Saturday that everything he was throwing, they were, they, you know, they were they were catching. And it was a, uh, you know, the type of, of, of performance that looked like a team that had spent the previous two weeks really getting its act together. And yeah, I don't think Iowa was quite prepared for that level of execution in terms of the pass. But, uh, uh, you know, they, they made a statement fairly quickly that they were going to try to throw the ball on Iowa, much like Iowa was going to try to throw the ball a little bit on Michigan State. And, you know, uh, one team certainly was a little more successful at it than the other. Cook was a little shaky early. At least he looked that way. He got away with some completions on passes that could have easily have been picked. But then I think you really saw his confidence grow. And, and again, we keep talking about it. At best, you can say it's an up and down day for Iowa's defensive secondary. B.J. Lowry, almost a perfect example of that. He had a couple of excellent defensive plays to break up long pass attempts, and then he got burned badly on a couple. Yeah, and that's that's kind of been B.J.'s season so far, uh, you know. And and he was asked about that in the post game, and and it is something that uh, you know he understands. I mean, it, it's part of a part of the process of, of, of adjusting to you know the role he's in right now, and and he is not happy with the consistency of his performance, and, and uh, he did. He, he got flat out beat a couple times, and and uh, when that happened, a lot of times he's he's in that position where he's kind of the last guy, the last line of defense, and, and uh, you know it's the result is not going to be pretty. He'll either go up and make a play, and which he has done. I mean he's he's second in the Big Ten right now with eight pass breakups, you know, and it, he's done some very nice things this season. But uh, you know, again, it, it's kind of risk and reward. Sometimes you're going to make the play, sometimes you're not. And the idea is to become more consistent as as the season progresses. Might be a long time, too, before we see Sean Draper again. That's a game he won't want to have uh, retained in his memory. Yeah, he had about a four or five minute stretch there that I think he would just prefer to, uh, you know, totally forget. And, and it was uh, not a, a good couple of series for Sean and, and some real costly plays there that allowed Michigan State to, you know, to take an early lead that, uh, uh, you know, didn't stick, but it but it certainly uh, uh, put, uh, put Iowa in a position where it had to play from behind and, and change the comp, you know the complexion of the game a little bit. Went into this game wanting to focus on the respective linebacker groups for each team. Uh, both of them are near, uh, certainly among the best in the conference, if not the country. And Iowa's group did a really nice job overall Saturday. And James Morris, once again, a really good game, and he got a third pick of the season. Terrific game by James. Yeah, he, he continues to you know provide some consistent play. Uh, you know, in the middle of that group, and you know, I think I think we take it 
take for granted a lot of times that uh, just what he does and 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 beyond the plays he's making, just the calls that he's making and and, and that type of thing is kind of the quarterback of, of of that group. And he came out and played like a senior, as did Anthony Hitchens, had another really solid game, and it certainly helped counter what Michigan State's linebackers were giving them. And uh, you know, extremely talented players on that field Saturday, no question. Sometimes watching Iowa special teams play is uh, is less than enjoyable for many Iowa fans. And Saturday, the good news was Mike Meyer stretches consecutive PATs made to 102. The bad news, Iowa was the victim, once again, of another fake punt. Six consecutive successful fake punts versus the Hawkeyes, stretching back to the 2010 season now. This one was a critical play in the game. And I, I don't know if anyone keeps those stats, but I'll bet you that leads the FBS in that category. Yeah, I'm not sure anyone keeps those either, but it's it, it certainly, you would think the odds at some point would kind of flip around on you there. And, uh, you know, Michigan State obviously saw on on tape an opportunity that others have seen previously. And, and uh, you know, they took advantage of it at, at a perfect moment at the start of the fourth quarter. And, you know, Sadler's a pretty savvy punter. He's been around for a couple of years. He ran a, a successful fake for a first down last year at Michigan. So I don't think it was, uh, you know, that much of a surprise that they would try something like that, in part because D'Antonio's got a, a history of kind of being a risk taker. But what they what they saw, and what one of the things that Sandler pointed out is is that there's this tendency of, of Iowa's guys to kind of turn their backs to the punter and to, before the ball is even kicked to uh, to try to get down and set up a return. And you know what that did was it basically opened up a, a nice you know lane for him to run. And you know that's something that needs to be corrected. You know in some way, shape, or form. You know Kirk kind of said you know maybe the answer is just to not you know just stop returning any of them. You know frankly until they can get get their issues worked out that might not be the worst idea in the world but uh, you know it's certainly a very frustrating thing and you know you know obviously I was had some success returning punts and uh, although Martin Manley was sidelined by that point with uh, you know with an injury uh, it was a uh, you know certainly a, a turning moment in you know in that game it, it provided Michigan State you know led to to three points and uh, and a two possession you know situation which uh, much like the Northern Illinois game when when it led to a field goal and in what turned out to be a three-point game. To rub salt in the wounds, the cameras picked up Mark D'Antonio turning around and fist-bumping his daughter on the sidelines after that fake punt was successful. So, you know, no matter how you want to cut it, that really is ultimately the responsibility of the head coach. And it's through two different special teams coaching groups. And, you know, I, I don't know what they can do about it. Somebody pointed out that most of the overwhelming majority of Iowa players on the field for that fake punt were redshirt freshmen and sophomores. So no matter how much he doesn't like to have to do that, he may just have to turn around and put more starters or, and veteran players in there on that squad. And we've certainly seen a willingness to do that in the past. And, and I think that that's something that, uh, you know, they have a little time here before the Ohio State game in a couple of weeks. So, you know, th- there may be some, some personnel changes when when the Hawkeyes get out to Columbus. And, uh, you know, it's not something he likes to do, but you can't continually be giving up situations like that that, uh, that really alter outcomes of games. To close out here today, we'll go just a little bit longer than we normally do because we have the bye week here. Iowa now sits at 4-2, and 1-1 one and one in the Big Ten. It is their bye week. They have to travel to Columbus to face which is clearly the Big Ten's best team in Ohio State, and the Buckeyes hold the nation's longest winning streak right now at 18, and coincidentally, it's also its bye week. It's extra time to heal and prepare, but also extra time to ponder the butt-whipping the Spartans gave them. 
What do you expect here? Well, I think it's an important time for Iowa. I think it comes at a, at a pretty decent spot in the schedule. The team has been going at it hard now for, you know, for nine-plus weeks uh, since camp opened. And, uh, you know, there certainly was a physical game on Saturday. They have a number of players that, uh, if they probably had to play this week, might not find themselves on the field on Saturday. So you've got a chance to take a, you know, a Christian Kirksey or a Cavante Martin Manley and give him a couple of days to just sit and, and uh, heal. And, and that's, uh, you know, this at this point in the season, that's not necessarily a bad thing. The challenge uh, that looms down the road at Ohio State a week from Saturday is a large one. And uh, But I think at this point, it's probably more important for this team to kind of focus on itself, regroup a little bit. Uh, Michigan State gave them a pretty good wake-up call. You know, I think Iowa had been on a bit of a roll winning four straight, probably starting to feel pretty good about itself, particularly the way they played defensively up in Minnesota. Uh, you know, and I think this is a nice, uh, you know, if, if, if there is such a thing, it's probably a nice time to have that uh, a little kick in the tail to uh, to kind of open the eyes a bit and, and you know not forget that there's still some work to be done and 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 there certainly is plenty of work to do on both sides of the ball and and you know this will be a week for that uh, it will be a week for uh, for the coaches to kind of get an opportunity to prepare for not only uh, the Ohio State game but also a couple weeks down the road they've got Wisconsin uh, with Northwestern sandwiched in between not an easy stretch but Wisconsin and Ohio State are a couple preparations that Iowa hasn't had to deal with for a couple of years and uh, this will uh, help them spend a little more time on that uh, it'll give the uh, some of the young guys on the team probably a few more reps they'll probably take a look at some younger players as well and and uh, spend some developmental time there so uh, you know it, it's um, it's a four and two start they're halfway through the season it's familiar territory it's exactly where they were a year ago six games into it we all know how that one finished out a, a disappointing stretch run for sure to finish four and eight but uh, this is a uh, a different year and it's been a different team this is an improved football team over a year ago and uh, the schedule certainly doesn't do them any favors but uh, they at least are in a position now where they've uh, you know I think they can feel a little bit better about themselves but I also think they have to realize after what happened Saturday that uh, growth and continued progress week to week is going to be the key to uh, to where the season leads. You could make a strong case that these three consecutive games coming up Ohio State, Wisconsin, Northwestern that those are the three best teams in the Big Ten right now and Iowa then faces Purdue on the road Michigan at home and Nebraska on the road to close out the season. I'm back to struggling to feel comfortable that they can get the six wins necessary to become bowl eligible. Yeah, I, th- I think probably if you look at it right now on paper, the Purdue game is probably the only game in that group that you at least would feel comfortable in saying that Iowa would be favored in. I, I think that uh, you know the the home games with Northwestern and Wisconsin are, are probably amongst the biggest challenges this program have faced in in some time, and you know, and that's coming off of of whatever transpires in, in Columbus. So you know, they're they're going to have to find a way to knock somebody off that they uh, you know maybe don't have any business beating, pull off an upset, which uh, you know they're certainly capable of that. I mean, if if Jake Rudock gets hot and, and uh, can get some things going, uh, you know, Demont Powell breaks a couple of big plays. Uh, he certainly has shown some game changing ability at, at times, and you know, it's going to take a few things like that. Uh, but uh, stranger things have happened, and and that's uh, you know that's why they they're going to play these next six and see where it leads. Well, we got Peter, and they got guys named Laser and Blazer and Taser and all kinds of Asia. Michigan State to four and one. The Hawkeyes will fall to four and two, and a lot of questions answered about Connor Cook and the quarterback position at Michigan State as he has a career day for completions and yardage and a couple of long touchdown passes, and it's a 26-14 win 
for Mark D'Antonio and Michigan State over Kirk Ferentz in Iowa. Our final score, Michigan State 26, Iowa 14. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings. Moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights this week, and thanks to Steve Batterson. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard in our shows. You can call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.